You're listening to a property podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. It's Mental Health Awareness Week, and this year's theme, set by the Mental Health Foundation, is nature and its effect on our well-being. For the real estate industry, the events of the COVID-19 pandemic have opened a new opportunity to reframe the role that nature plays within its schemes and underscore the benefits for the people using the places and spaces it creates. In this discussion on what the built environment can achieve here and why it matters, I'm joined by Clara Dawson, HSE and Wellbeing Business Partner at the Crown Estate, Katrina kostik Salmon, Head of Workplace Strategy and Design at KKS Savills, John Prevok, Principal at HOK, and Alex Robinson, Development Director for Strategic Land at Grosvenor, Britain and Ireland. I asked Clara how events of the last year have underscored or strengthened the link between access to nature and our well-being, and what that means from real estate's perspective. Well, I think over the last year, um, customers' expectations have changed quite a lot. Um, well-being is now a big focus. Uh, we've seen a massive shift with people's awareness about the subject as they return back to retail and our office space. Some of the things we're hearing um, is that people are struggling with anxiety, which is a big subject. Um, they feel that they're not moving enough. They put on weight. So whether people um, are working from home or were furloughed, um, people have struggled in some way. So as they return back to our space, they want and they need positive experience. And, you know, people do recognize the value of green areas instinctively. Um, many of us have been drawn to green space throughout the pandemic. Um, and I think, you know, technology combined with the disruption of the pandemic has given people new choices about where they work and where they live and where they spend time. So creating places that people want to spend time in is no longer kind of a nice to have. Um, and I think COVID has accelerated people's awareness of the impact that the physical environment has on their mood, their overall well-being. So I think our, you know, our cities, our space, our offices, our social spaces, they need to work for them. And you know, many businesses, including the Crown Estate, um, had introduced green initiatives before the pandemic. So I think this is a continuation of the great work, but just maybe at a faster pace. That link between access to nature and and physical health feels often much easier to understand and, and sort of to grasp than the benefits for mental health. But does it feel like those ties are, are becoming clear, clearer, perhaps because of what we've been through over this past year? Well, I think it's fascinating that, you know, so many sto- studies show that nature can have a positive impact on well-being, and we all know that. And, you know, something simple as spending two hours a week in green space can make a huge difference. And I think it's a time that, you know, we should all make an effort to make. Um, you know, going back to the studies, we know that it lowers um, stress h- hormones in our bodies, it increases self-esteem, it reduces that anxiety, there's that word again, and it improves our mood. I think if I look at it personally, my um, two kids go to fourth school, um, they go to nursery, so they're preschool, and they've only been going there for the last couple of months, and I can see the difference in their mood, they're a lot calmer they're a lot happier going there and you know they have they spend 90% of their day outdoors they're in the fresh air they've got the natural light and they're looking for bugs they're playing trees it's absolutely fantastic and I think if we bring it back to us adults 
I'm going to use that word again, anxiety levels are higher than ever due to COVID pressure. And I think people being drawn to nature instinctively is proof in itself. I think people feel better with nature around them. It makes, you know, personally, it makes me feel calmer and more relaxed. You know, we all know natural light, fresh air, pollution absorbing greenery. There's a lot of research proving that these elements improve our overall well-being. They, you know, they help us to release our happy hormones, which is a good thing. If we look at Scandinavian countries and their designs, they really focus on light and colour. Um, and I think bringing it back to health in Europe, health means mental health and physical health. So there's no there's no difference between the two. Um, so I think people are aware of the link between nature and mental health. Um, they just need to be more aware of the link between mental health and physical health, I think. John, I remember you sharing an anecdote at a speech I saw you give, uh, which you will be able to tell much, much better than I can. But you were mentioning that there was a time where you might not have thought about the ties between the open space in a scheme and and the health and the well-being of the people using it. And you shared a comment that a doctor made to you when you <laughs> were working on a on our hospital scheme about uh, some of the decisions you've made there. I wonder if we could just revisit that and maybe maybe yeah, talk sure. about how that that has stayed with you. No, it, it has stayed with me. It stayed with me for most of my my career now. Um, it was a, it was a wonderful moment. We were we were doing a competition um, at, at Highgate. Uh, for the hospital there and um, we were presenting our, our urban design initiatives and we'd, uh, we'd set out our spatial strategy and our greening and the ability for space to do things and the doctor said to me he said look guys you know if if you do this if you produce this you're actually able to save more lives than I can and of course you look at this guy he's a doctor he's saving lives every day and you wonder what on earth is he talking about and uh, he said, look, it's it's quite simple. He said, look, what you're doing by providing a safe and green and inviting open space is you're bringing people out into it. You're particularly bringing out those people that are either lonely or elderly or actually just scared of coming out into an environment where they are socially active and physically active. So they become healthier, both physically and mentally, because they they build relationships with people that either they'd lost because they were scared to come out. And especially now, you know, the last year, having these safe spaces has really focused that comment uh, on the work that we do, because it isn't just about sort of seeding a few green bits and bobs here and there. It's actually curating them in a way that establishes an invitation. This invitation for society and communities to come out and start talking with each other and, you know and this is a global problem that we have about this sense of ownership of the place and the more you can make it their place i.e the place of those that use it and we as designers start to say oh, hold on a minute it's not ours it's yours and say look yeah, come and join us in the design process come and have a go with us what do you want suddenly you're saving lives. And I, and I love that sort of connection between sort of urban space and life saving. So I've, I've felt I ought to wear a badge now, sort of lifesaver. <laughs> I think I'm going to use that. I absolutely love that. I really do. It's a true, it's a true story. It really happened to me. And you know, this guy then went on and did uh, work on, on Everest uh, about cardiovascular research at, at altitude. And, what have you, he's quite a well-known guy. And uh, 
yeah, it, it's not never left me. I think that's fantastic. I also like your point about the communication there with the with the community that you're serving, not to make those decisions on their behalf, but to make those decisions informed by what they're telling you. It's it's essential, Tim, because I mean we've we've become less arrogant. I mean, architects are known for being you know arrogant individuals, and uh, and and that's unfortunate because I think the majority are not. Um, I think creativity can come from the individual, but it needs to be shared and be contributed by the community. It's a joint venture. It's not a sole endeavour. No building is designed by one person. It's a team. And that team, in my view, is extended to the community that sits around it that should have this ownership of it. So it's a broader dialogue, in my view, rather than the singular. It's the, it's the multiple. Alex, how do some of the, the the themes we're talking about so far come to be reflected in in Grosvenor's work? I, I wonder if we could look at the Trumpington Meadows scheme, for example, yeah. and, and what you've been working on there. Well, there's two, we've got two schemes that sort of um, touch this point. So Trumpington Meadows up in Cambridge, um, which is probably one of our first strategic land projects, where we've got a uh, sort of hundred acre plus. Um, country park as part of that scheme so it's 1200 homes an enormous country park relative to the size of the residential area and we work closely there with the wildlife trust who managed that space uh, with us um and i think you sort of started out on that point about the pandemic and um i suppose we're not not on our own but uh We'd sort of seen the value in that public open space and the greenery and the, and the, and bringing that into those schemes a long time ago. We started Trumpington back in 2009, and um, the value that brings to a place, not just in terms of sort of pounds, shillings, and pence, but just in terms of the quality of the area and the sort of feel you get for a, for, for a, a new scheme. So, you know, the, the big challenge I always think with uh, strategic, large strategic sites where you're creating, you know, to some extent, a new place quite often, or in that case, in a, in a sort of an urban extension to Cambridge, um, is how do you actually get that homely, um, pleasant feel when you walk around? And it's, you can't quite put your finger on it sometimes as to what is, why it works, why some areas work, why some don't. And, um, you know, a lot of time spent at Trumpington trying to bring in as much greenery onto a site, which had, when we took it over, had two trees on it. Um, so we had nothing to work with in terms of uh, um, what was a sort of part brownfield, part greenfield site. Um, and trying to use the park as a place where people can meet and congregate. So we've had things like um, sort of mobile cinemas put on through the pre-pandemic and through that when we could. Um, the Wildlife Trust hosting various days there for children to get in touch with nature and use that space as a you get access to the river, the river cam there as an educational part as well but it's also something where um in sort of contemporary living people don't have enormous gardens that that scheme is typical of, of many others but which don't have enormous gardens but you've got this public space on your doorstep which people can go out and and use and i think that's been absolutely come to the fore through the through the pandemic um We've got a similar scheme over in uh, Oxford at Barton Park, where recently we've been do we've been working with the Quality of Life Foundation and doing um, uh, doing interviews. So those those guys have been doing we've had to re remotely clearly through the pandemic, but um, interviews with all the residents to understand better what makes up 
the quality of life. It's not just looking at it from a developer's perspective of what you know, patting ourselves on the back about the good things we've done, but actually listening to residents and saying, well, what what is it about this scheme that works, what doesn't? Um, and overwhelmingly on that on that one, which has a very similar setup to Trumpington, was the, the 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 park that we put in right at the start of the scheme, which and I used to drive past there um, once a week through the pandemic and. Uh, it was absolutely mobbed and people were just getting out into that space. Fantastic to see because we also had great weather as well last year, didn't we? But um, really, you know, we've got a lot of effort in designing the linear part there. We've got um, what are essentially sort of um, sustainable drainage ponds that we've made a real feature of that of that place and um, sort of wildlife that's coming in there is amazing, really, being only a few years old. But um, just seeing people use it uh, in the way you hope they would use it, and almost more so, has, has been a great um, has been a great thing to see. Um, I mean, I think you made some interesting points that John makes there about the, the sort of health benefits when you start talking to doctors and things like that. We, we Barton Parks one of the early NHS Healthy Newtown demonstrator sites, so we worked with the NHS really early on when they were put put together that program and put forward a few schemes they chose Barton Park as essentially probably the most advanced of um, developments that they chose for the, for the 10 sites they had and they're making that connection as well between um, sort of almost the earliest earliest preventative action you can take to reduce the NHS bill at the end of the day so and the, one of the fundamental parts of that and the sort of endorsement of what we were doing there was the master plan and how we were bringing nature into the scheme and that's so mental health being obviously the topic of today's conversation but also physical health just in terms of how making it easy for people to get out access a walking trail have it well signposted, so they know what type of route they're doing maybe how they know how much distance they're covering keeping those um integrating things like the sort of gym equipment and things like that into those trials and the nhs recognizing that whilst there's a long lead in and a long uh, sort of lag between that um in um that sort of activity and reducing a bill at the end of the day that they they were very much subscribed to that and they could see that that was going to be a a good thing in the long run for um keeping people out of out of hospital and keeping people away from heart disease and things like that that's brilliant it's such a vote of confidence in what you and the team are doing yeah it was yeah, yeah i mean it was it's just a really interesting exercise and one we sort of kept going so as, as that sort of programs um uh sort of tailed off a little we've we've kept that going with um the sort of stewardship of that scheme so um the interesting dynamic over at Barton is you've got an existing community in in sort of the existing estate at Barton and then what we built at Barton Park adjacent to it and the stats there are really shocking so if you live in Barton at the moment you have Headington across the road which got a nice sort of um, address within Oxford uh, you'll live 10 years less if you live in Barton than if you do in Headington and they are a five minute walk from each other uh, and you're 10 times more likely to go to A&E if you live in Barton than if you do in, in Headington. So we were trying to address that particular issue. And mental health comes into that as well in terms of loneliness and some people who are sort of long term unemployed, et cetera, within Barton. Um, so we were trying to address that problem with a new scheme adjacent to it where people could benefit from that public open space, benefit from that park, come and use it as a wider community. Um, 
or all to all to the fore really of trying to improve people's health and well-being in a on an overall basis. Katrina, to to bring in your take here on on what's happening in workplaces, what kind of trends are you seeing from you know discussions you're having with clients, work that that you're carrying out? What shifts have we seen in terms of how um, how companies can uh, can connect better with nature, offer offer um, more support for for workers within the office and the workplace? Uh, well, everything that's been said is uh, absolutely pointing to what we're doing in the workplace. Again, we said early on, this is just an acceleration of everything we've been doing, certainly uh, within the workplace for years now. Um, but it was interesting in doing a lot of research on the subject recently. Um, Edward Wilson founded a, or wrote a book, Biophilia, that introduced the term, and he defines it as the urge to affiliate with other forms of life. And I think it's interesting because it brings back to the community conversation that we were having earlier on, that there's an innate sense of all of us as humans to be with other people. And the fact that greenery can produce some of that, uh, those hormones and give you a sense of well-being. So we've talked about, as Claire mentioned, all of the wonderful um, benefits of it, which I think and I applaud the Crown Estate for uh, putting in all of the greenery and the green wall that you did. And one of the reasons uh, for, for winning the BCR award, because as a judging and a previous uh, president, I know how how terrific your offices were. I hope they still are <laughs> with, the, with, with the green wall. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think it's really important to bring that in. Um, so as far as uh, the uh, the statistics, we've been doing a lot of stats because people want to know what does it really mean um, when you get to the CFO kind of level they're like oh do I have to pay for plants you know it's not just putting plants in day one the worry is that no one will maintain them so while we've been advocating terraces and outdoor space for a long long time with developers um, there's always the question that, uh, and you can both answer um, Alex and Claire but there's always a, a discussion well who's going to pay for them afterwards you know you, you put it on floor terrace and who's going to pay for is it the t tenant that's demised to the terrace and they have to put the plants on or is it the developer that controls what the look is or what the architect that says that we want it all to be the same um i just want the plants to live quite frankly um and uh, oftentimes i go back and see schemes and unfortunately they've died so when you're putting them in it can't just be a token gesture you can't just put outdoor space just because you think it should be there or plants on a cgi they're kind of like a jungle in the middle of london that we know just won't won't work um, again, you have to put them in south facing or or with good light. Uh, I've seen too many schemes that we have to come in and adjust that the terraces are um, uh, not saying that John does, but you probably realize that, that that things are added to north facing sites just because that's because it looks good with the architecture. Well, actually, quite frankly, that they're just not going to grow there. So I think it's important to not proposed trees up on level 50 or something like this you know you, you have to put them where they're actually going to survive and grow but as far as the workplace goes we've been seeing a huge reduction in um uh the anxiety levels but the happiness but the the negative is that up till now it's been a reactive response and what we have to do is we have to be a proactive response so i think everyone on this panel um understands the the, the necessary to do the proactive approach but too many clients we're seeing is is reactionary they think they can stick a potted plant in the corner and actually it's going to solve the problem but actually we have to to be proactive as john mentioned as far as the doctor and the health and really get to the nub of it and really do it before people 
need help mentally or physically and it just becomes part of the um, the everyday environment so we've been working through what we call the layered interior design uh, where you do sort of layer up a few interesting things besides these sort of white desks and white walls Um, the enriched environment has been very much on the forefront in the last few years as far as making it look like your home and 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 this sort of um, hospitality sector but really what the important thing is what we call the empowerment environment because if you have choice uh, so it's all about the choice now. So the employee wants to think, well, I want to choose to come in on a Monday and a Wednesday. I don't want to come in at nine. I want to come in at 11. But the choice has to extend to the interior. And so when you look at um, an individual having choice, it's like art. Uh, we've got statistics that say if you give somebody a piece of art near them, the productivity improves by 30 percent. If you actually let the employee choose the piece of art near them, not just where it goes, but what it is, the productivity will rise by up to 80%. It's the same thing with the uh, the planting and the biophilia, is if you give the, the employees choice to have a plant and then which plant and then where should it be put, uh, you start to get this enriched environment. Clara, what are the, what are the big challenges for an asset owner, uh, particularly in the case of the Crown Estate when we're talking about you know buildings in the middle of the capital where there will be limits on what you can change and, and what you can do how do you how do you work around perhaps some of the some of the limitations in in the portfolio and push this area as as, as far as you can still um i would say that it's creating awareness and um, it's creating those relationships um, and it takes time so these things don't happen overnight um i think you know for example one of our schemes on regent street um it's a trial um for the next 18 months we've introduced new pavement um mm-hmm. to give more space to pedestrians to use the space we've planted um i think over 62 uh, semi-mature trees and over 330 planters and um put in benches so that people can just stop and enjoy the space rather than rushing around. So I think um, it's not rushing through these things, I would say. Um, and, you know, another example um, at Rushton Lakes, another one of our retail parks, it sits along the SSSI wetlands um, and has a beautiful boating lake. Um, and this was done in partnership with uh, the Wildlife Trust. Um, and I think I think it's utilizing the spaces that we have. Um, we don't have to look at the big picture all the time. I think that is important. But you know, simple things like rooftop gardens, allotment clubs, where it brings that sense of community together, where customers and people we're in partnership with um, can come together. Um, can we introduce honeybees to our area? Um, we're looking at insect hotels. There's lots of things that we can be doing. Um, and I think I think for me personally, it's ensuring that we have um, diversity in the conversations that we have as well. Um, I think something comes to mind, actually, uh, the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. So it's completely different, slightly changing the subject. But I love this alliance because it's a collaboration between you know, Scotland, New Zealand, Iceland, Wales and Finland, and they're working towards a well-being economy. I mean, this is music to my ears. And it's a 10-year project, and the aim is that they won't need this alliance after 10 years. 
um, and they're hoping that other countries will follow suit. And what interests me even more about this, that all these countries are led by women. Um, and this is just another proof that uh, diversity is needed. And it's great that we have um, such diverse panel here today because it is moving the conversation forward. John, how do you think priorities have been changed by the pandemic? And do, do you think we're going to see best practice when it comes to this area alter after what we've been through during the past year? I think, as I think others have already said, I think we were already on a trajectory. I mean, this is just just compacted to a wee bit more. But I mean, if I if I go back and just look at some of the projects I've done before and what the history of those was and the decision making process that were there. So interestingly enough, having having worked for many years on the Elephant and Castle Regeneration Project, now known as Elephant Park, you know, nobody realised that we had an urban forest in right in front of us on the Haygate estate. Nobody, nobody saw it. The community suddenly popped and said, oh, excuse me, by the way, you've got hundreds of mature trees. What are you going to do with them? Ah, right. Um, <laughs> OK, so all of a sudden, the trajectory of the master plan changed. And we said, look, hold on. The here is an asset. And it took quite a while. But we not only demonstrated that this was an environmental and well-being asset, it was also an asset that had commercial value. So we demonstrated that a flat or a home that overlooked a tree would be worth more than one that didn't. Bingo. What have you got? You've got a three-dimensional connected piece of thinking that covers all the bases. Let's keep as many trees as we can. Let's actually build around them. Let's, let's get them involved. It made us loads of friends. The, the, the community in the elephant, and there were challenges there without a doubt, and continue to be probably, have now secured for themselves hundreds of mature trees which could have been lost. So there's there's one story which I think shows that how we have changed. Today that would never happen. The question would be, wow, here they all are, how do we work around them? That would have been base number one. And, and the other one was, you know, I, it was a time where I collaborated with an architect called Ken Yang. Ken Yang was a, a visionary, in a sense, a Malaysian architect uh, of Chinese extraction. But Ken drew these buildings with lots and lots of trees all over them. And 20 years ago, we were saying, what on earth are you thinking of, Ken? Look at the gross tonnette. It's not going to work, mate. However, here we are today, Bosco, yep. you know, Verticale. Projects all over the world, in Sydney, in Milano, in, in Singapore, they've all embraced the notion of biodiversity and the ecology of three-dimensional urban planting being connected physically to the architecture that the city embraces. And I think these are trajectories that are going to grow and grow, excuse the pun, but it will. Now, we still need to make them work commercially more successfully. There are challenges there, of course there are, but that will be a trajectory. And the other one I think is materials in buildings. Now the use of timber, okay, we've, we've got certain issues in the UK due to recent history, but timber is going to be an, an increasingly important material. You know, bamboo, for example, clay products, oil-based, oil products that are from natural um, sources, all these are going to be used more and more. 
And I can remember even some years ago tutoring at, at various universities and talking about um, living buildings. And I mean literally organic living buildings that were made of organic matter that were still alive. And we set students these ambitious programs whereby we said, look, let's think a little bit further on. Can buildings really not just be printed and be adaptable, but actually can they really be living things that actually somehow through biomimicry perhaps or whatever can adapt to the environment and be actually one with the environment in the same way as we are. So look, that's a little bit in the future. I can talk about more rounded things, but you know, this is food for thought. The the use of CLT is terrific and it's really starting to take hold, uh, certainly in London and uh, in the UK. And again, the research on it is, is very well used, obviously, in Scandinavia. Uh, the limitations, I think, ultimately, funnily enough, it's not what it looks like, how much it costs. But I've the research suggests, Johnny, you may not know more about this, but is that it's actually the um, transportation of the, the sheet sizes and the lorries and the turning radiuses of the trucks. Uh, so when I actually yeah. looked at the overall um lifeline of getting clt to a building in london it was actually nothing to do with whether it was fair faced or grade a b or c or or all of that it's actually the the product itself and where it starts from where it comes and it has to sit it is pre-manufactured in sheets uh, or, or, or beams and it comes as a lorry length and the lorries are only so long and they can only go down certain streets and they can only do certain turning radiuses and it was actually quite interesting that if you look back at the food chain or you look at the life cycle of, of a product that we can't just spec it because it looks good in a brochure. We actually have to think about the infrastructure uh, all the way through the life cycle. I wonder as we as we draw this to a close, perhaps, whether I could just ask for a few final thoughts, almost a summary from each of you. So as we as we have this conversation in Mental Health Awareness Week about about the benefits of connecting with nature for our well-being, perhaps each of you could just offer a few final words on the, the role and the responsibility that real estate has when it comes to when it comes to that initiative. Alex, I'm gonna pick on you first if that's all right. Sure. Um well I think one of the points that uh, I was gonna make, which I think sort of summarizes it, is that um there's a uh, you know life is moving on isn't it in terms of the quality of design and the, certainly on the deep decarbonization front and this all plays into the same sort of end game so um whether it be improving the biodiversity of the schemes we build if it's reducing the carbon um embodied within our schemes uh, the ports of green space all plays into that that agenda and so it's all moving in there it's all moving in the right direction there is no downside really to producing great green space whether it be large parks whether it's pocket parks that we're doing in central london whether it's um, as katrina says you know smaller interventions within buildings and inside buildings um so i think you've got a you've got a customer base you've got whether that be house buyers with office tenants moving towards demanding that type of um uh reduction in impact environmental impact and i think the mental health benefits are um aligned with that agenda aren't they in terms of um producing that space is a win-win for everyone really i think so katrina some some final thoughts from you 
I think we've touched a lot on the, the what it can do to the physical building in terms of the air quality and, and uh, noise reduction. But as we've all said, I think what's fascinating is the reduction in anxiety and fatigue um, and that it just brings a sense of um, of calmness to, to the office environment by putting uh, plants in and any kind of natural material. So I'm all for um, reducing uh, hostility in the office. Anything that's uh, really using the five senses, I'm very much around the sensory design. And I think if you can work on the site, sound, touch, smell and hearing and, and plants and biophilia bring so much into all that. Clara, over to you. Um, well, for me, people want to have um, a lovely experience when they visit our spaces. So I think we need to create such uh, an environment where they feel that. Um, and I think there'll be uh, positive pressure on businesses to prove that the environment is adding to individuals' well-being. So I think we'll find that people will ask the, you know, the what, the how, how, the why. Um, research we're back to research it tells us that people feel better in nature if they feel more connected as been mentioned um, several times here feels they feel calmer they're more focused so I think why wouldn't we create such a space for them um, and also if people feel better by being in our spaces they would want to stay so I think um, asset owners like the Crown Estate will um, have minimum well-being standards when it comes to their developments which is great. And John, last words from you on real estate's responsibilities here. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit weird here. Um, <laughs> I did a I did a talk in at the end of 2019, and I called it the art of slow. And um, I was talking about the need to recalibrate the way we use time. And what I suggested was that that nature, in fact, is our most important client and that we need to work more at its pace rather than this sort of more artificial pace contrived by what I call perceived profit, because it isn't the real profit. It, it's actually some pace that the industry has picked up and let's do it that fast. Let's do it really fast. Um, so I think there's a real joy uh, in working with the rhythms of nature, certainly over time. Um, I think it changes gradually. So what we perceive is that it changes gradually over the year. And I think it, bring, it kind of really brings enormous pleasure to the way that, that we think about time and the way we observe time. So I think nature is, is both multi, it's a kind of multi-generational connector. It, it actually connects us. That tree is, has a past and it has a future. It connects us with our, 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 our grandparents and it connects us with our children's children. You know, it's quite a lovely object seen beyond the physical thing. Um, and I think this notion of slowing down the way that we do business, the way that we slow down, the way that we perceive place and greenery and our environment will make us healthier, will make us more mentally better. So I think let's recalibrate time and work at the pace of nature. I think that is such an inspiring note to end it on. What a, what a great idea. Thank you all so much Katrina, Clara, John, Alex for making time to be with EG today, uh, sharing your time and sharing your thoughts. It's been great to have you. And of course, thank you for tuning in to this EG podcast. There's more to come from the team over the course of Mental Health Awareness Week, and you can head to our dedicated wellbeing hub at egi.org.
www.co.uk forward slash mental dash health for more.